Good morning. Good morning. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you all this morning. This is a little strange to stand up in the center, <laughs> um, but I feel like it, it fits our passage today in some ways. Um, so if I haven't met you yet, my name is Michelle Verrill. I've been coming to Covenant for about two years. I've been a member for a little bit um, over a year, and I'm just really glad to be here this morning with you all. Um, the 1105 service is my service, so y'all are my family. Um, so I'm really grateful to be among family this morning. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Thomas ended his sermon with a question that kind of left me a little bit challenged. He asked us, um, in, our, in our relationship with God, in our faith, are we seeking to encounter God or are we only seeking to observe him? And that left me wondering, Lord, am I often seeking just to, to see who you are or do I really wanna encounter you? in deep and powerful ways. And so this morning, I wanna invite us to sit in that question again. Are we seeking to encounter God? Or are we satisfied with just observing him? Because the passage that we look at this morning is an invitation to encounter. It's an invitation to worship. It's an invitation to not be spectators or observers. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would enter into this text with that in mind, with that openness, and with that desire to encounter. We're going to go on a journey this morning. I'm going to invite you in to come on a journey with me, and it's a journey that some of you may have never been on before, because we're going to take a journey into the book of Revelation. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 4 and what it means that God is worthy of our worship. Now, I know that for Revelation, for some of you, you're like, really? Can I get up and like run to the other service? No, stay, I promise it'll be good. And for others of you, you're like, yes, finally, we're gonna talk about this book. Yes, a little bit. But I wanna give us a little bit of background so we know what we're getting ourselves into. Um, the book of Revelation is written by John. Um, it is written in a time where the church is being persecuted, and so the people would have received this as good news. Now, those of us who have kind of dived into the book of Revelation a little bit, we know that it's filled with imagery, and it's filled with some strange creatures, and some of those strange creatures are going to show up in our passage today. I'm just giving you some warning. But it's awesome and amazing, and they mean some things and what Revelation really is about, it's about the heart of God, and it's about the bigger picture of the things that he has in mind. And it's written to seven churches, which represent the number of completion, so the whole church of that time and even for our time. And it's full of awe and wonder, and I think even the best cinematographers in the world would not be able to capture what's happening in this book. Revelation means revealing. It's nothing scary. It just means that it's a pulling back of the curtain into what God has for us. And so join me in hearing the word of the Lord this morning. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice that I had first heard speaking like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. 
And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, and a rainbow shone around like an emerald and circled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and in front of the throne where seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a, a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center of the throne, around the throne, there were these four living creatures, and they were, they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a lion, and the second was like an ox, and the third had a, had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and, and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. And day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before him and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. The word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are holy and magnificent and awesome and you're creative and I pray that we would hear your word this morning and that it would cause us to encounter you in deeper ways. Lord, that our eyes would be open to see you, that our ears would be open to hear you and that we would know like never before, that you alone are worthy of our worship. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So friends, we have been invited this morning into the throne room of God. And it's something that I don't know that any of us will ever be able to quite grasp in our minds. But if we use our imagination this morning, we see something that is full of brilliance, and glory, and honor, and really strange creatures. And as we take a look at this this morning, I just want to invite us into a place where we see what God is trying to say to us about himself, and what these 24 elders and these four living creatures have to say about God that help us to understand his worthiness. You see, the original audience of this text, they wouldn't have thought this was strange because they would have been familiar with Old Testament passages. They would have known the stories, and they would have known from Ezekiel and from Daniel that these kinds of creatures are familiar to them. Not that they would have seen them in person, but they would have known that this is something that God uses to represent his holiness, his fullness. These creatures are one that see everything 
We've got these, these creatures with eyes all over themselves. And I think the reason that they keep saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come, is because these eyes represent that they are all seeing. They don't miss a thing. And so they see God and they're like, oh, he's holy. And then they see him, oh, he's holy, oh, he's holy. Right? There's something about God and his characteristics that keep changing but are always the same that they keep noticing because they can't unnotice. It gives a whole new meaning to the, to the phrase eyes in the back of their head. Right? They're all seeing. They're all knowing. It's everywhere. We see here that there are no spectators. That there are no observers. There's only full participants in worship. There's something about this song, this, this chorus of these deep theological truths that remind us that God is holy, that he's set apart, that he's free of sin, that he's different from us. And as they sing this, this psalm of praise, they recognize that God is sovereign over all of creation. He's sovereign over all things. And then he knows us and he sees us. He is the Lord Almighty. He is the ruler of all nature and that he is the God that is for us. There's never been a time that God has not known, has not seen, has not been. And that was then, it's now, and it will be for all eternity. And I don't know about you, but even just these truths, even just these things cause me to pause and cause me to have my heart stirred for who God is and what he is doing. Because it, it should produce worship. It should produce something within us that should rise up and cause us to say, yeah, God, you are holy. Yes, God, you do see me. Yes, God, you are the one who was and is and is to come. That you knew me before, you know me now, and you know what my future is going to be. That he sees that and he knows that. Worship is the only appropriate response to God. Wholehearted, awe-inspired, loving worship is the only authentic response, my friends. And it's in worship that we rightly acknowledge the awesomeness of God and our total dependence on him. And we can see that in the 24 elders. These are people that represent the people of God the fullness of the people of God. And, and here they are, they've got these crowns on their heads, and yet they see the 20, or they see the four living creatures worship. And their response is to be like, no, I, I worship God. I'm not gonna sit with this crown on my head. I'm gonna get off of my own throne and I'm gonna worship the one who is living. And over and over again, they sing, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And what they're saying is that worship is expressed in more than just songs and prayers. It's, it's expressed in our loyalty. It's expressed in the giving up of power and control in our lives. And it's expressed in their complete surrender to God, to the one who alone sits on the throne. You see, I think the thing that strikes me about the 24 elders is they recognize that it's not about themselves. 
and it's not about the people around them. They just see God. And yes, they are led and worshiped by these crazy-looking creatures, and they don't let that distract them. Because there's something about God that causes them to worship. It's the true king on the throne that they're reminded that I'm not worthy. And so they relinquish all power and all control. You see, humility is the thing that we need to stand before God. You know, I remember um, the first time I was in college, I was a freshman, and it was the first time I had ever seen people raising their hands in worship, and I thought it was the strangest thing I'd ever seen. Like, I just did not understand it. I had grown up in a church where we didn't do that, and so I was like, why are people doing this? And, you know, I'm like looking at them thinking they've got, they're on something, <laughs> you know, more than I am, I don't know. And I remember going up to my friend who had become like one of my closest friends, and, and I said to her, Carice, why, why do you raise your hands during worship? Like, what is the deal with, these, with people doing this? And she said, well, you know, I was taught that it was an act of surrender. Like, to raise my hands was like, I give up, God. Here I am. I surrender. And I said, well, if that's the case, <laughs> then I need to start raising my hands. Because, like, I don't, I'm like, I don't got this, God. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. I surrender to you. And I'm not saying that we all need to raise our hands. I'm not, this, don't worry. <laughs> I'm not here to say, now all of you better raise your hands during worship. No, it's not about that. But it is about surrender. And so if we're not surrendering in our hearts first, it doesn't matter if we raise our hands or not. Because it's an inward surrender that has external repercussions, right? It, it produces an external response. But worship isn't just about being here on Sunday mornings. It's not even just about being here on Wednesday nights. It's about living a life of worship. And I think one of the reasons people never experience authentic worship is because we hold on to things. We want to hold on to our control. We want to hold on to what God is doing. And so we need to surrender. We need to be like these 24 elders who lay down everything before the Lord. We need to surrender our agendas, our hopes, our futures, our dreams, our fears, our reputations, our jobs, our families, everything to him. Uh, a little over a year ago, <clears throat> I began kind of a healing journey, which I've, I've shared in the couple of times that I've preached since then, of just this, this healing journey from a broken engagement and a broken heart, and just crying out to the Lord. And I'll tell you, it is not easy um, to spend time with Jesus when you're hurting sometimes. Um, but I chose to worship. I chose to engage. I chose to to cry out to him and to surrender. And because of that, I began to read and to listen to worship songs and just invite my close friends who, and my community just to remind me of what God, who God is and what he says. And I was reminded that, that God is who he says that he is and he will do what he says he will do. And that is what makes him worthy of my praise. It's by trusting God for who he is and not just how I feel about him that I can worship. And so as I chose to pray, as I chose to, to anchor myself in the Lord and to anchor myself in the community that, that would lift me up and to remind me of who God was, and as I just worshiped him, God has brought redemption 
in that. And it has been beautiful. And I am seeing things today that he is good and he was good and he will always be good. And so my friends, I, my hope is this morning is that these truths would cause us to pause, that they would, we would know and understand that the almighty, powerful, ever-present God of all eternity sees us, knows us, and that should leave us in awe. He is who he says that he is, and that should stir something deep within us that would cause us to worship, because without God, we're nothing and we have nothing. We may think that we have it all. We may think that we have all these things on ourselves, but we don't. The truth is that they all come from God. And he is the one who gives and takes away because he's the one who knows what's best for us. Worship is essential for us to live, my friends. Worship is who we are before God, both publicly and privately internally and externally, spiritually and physically. And it's not just so we can feel better about God, but it's because of who God is. And it's not just about worship on Sunday mornings, but it's about living lives of worship in the everyday. And so that could look like serving together as a family. It could look like listening to worship music on your way to work. It could look like spending time reading scripture with your family around the dinner table and talking about the attributes and the characteristics of God that you see as a family. And so this week, I want to challenge you to put into practice the art of worship, a life of worship, a life that shows our love and loyalty to God and God alone, no longer compromising to the, to the ways of the world, but asking God what it is that he wants from us each day and living that out, and that is worship. So I leave you with a question. How will you prove to yourself and to others that God alone is worthy of all glory and honor and power? How will you choose to worship him this week? Amen.